Over the last month, we went through a series on our mission, which is to encounter Christ, experience community, and extend the kingdom in our communities. And so, um, you know, what I want to do today is I want to preach a message that basically ties all of that together and puts it all in one sermon just to put a bow on the series. Uh, there's a passage of scripture where I see all three of those things occurring at the same time. It's an invitation by Jesus to to experience all of those things in, in basically one verse. We're going to read several verses, but our emphasis is going to be on one particular verse. And we're going to be looking at the at the book of Matthew chapter 4. Verses 18 through 22. So if you could stand to your feet with me as I read this passage. And I'll I'll read it today. And uh, we just stand in reverence for Scripture, just recognizing that this reading of Scripture is the most important thing that we can do as a people. Uh, Everything that is contained in Scripture has the power to transform. All I'm going to do after this is describe that power to transform and describe the application of this word so that we can be transformed by Jesus. Amen? So Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 22. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called to them. Immediately, they left the boat and, and their father and followed him. This is God's word to us. Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask that you would make this come alive to us today, that you would come alive to us today, and we would recognize the great hope that you've called us to and for. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Just a side note about the Marriage is Messy panel. If you thought, man, that might be kind of helpful, but you weren't sure how to bring it up to your spouse because it might get messy, um, just make it about you. Say, hey, I know I'm not the husband that that you deserve in Jesus, and I want to go to learn how to love you better. You with me? You tracking? Because if you're like, babe, we need to go to this, and she's like, why? It could get messy. And I just want to help you. So wives, hey, I would love to know how to love you better. So can we go to the marriage is messy panel so that we can both, so that I can learn and we can both benefit from being there together. Uh, Just some coaching, (laughs) right? Uh, One of the things that sticks out to me in this passage right off the top is this phrase, as Jesus was walking. And, And it speaks to me about what, feels like the casual nature of the way that God moves and works in our lives. God was walking and just, just walking along by the Lake of Galilee. And it seems kind of happenstance, kind of accidental, kind of coincidental, doesn't it? That he was walking along the way. And then he walks up on these two brothers who were fishermen. Uh, I think it's funny that it's like they were throwing their net because they were fishermen. (laughs) It's like, just in case you wondered what, why they were using the nets. They weren't accountants. And, and so, but they were fishermen, they were using the net. But as Jesus was walking by, and I think sometimes we miss uh, either the supernatural part of God or we miss the natural part of God because the, God is so naturally supernatural and supernaturally natural 
that it's so easy to miss the things that God is doing. At one point in scripture, he heals a man's eye by spitting in dirt, balling it up and sticking it in his head. I don't recommend doing that, but it would have seemed really natural. Spit, very natural. Dirt, very natural. Shoving it in the eye. Not so natural, but more natural than supernatural. And then the guy can see. Supernatural. But everything about that encounter seemed to be very natural. Jesus is walking by the Lake of Galilee and it seems so natural. It seems so plain, but he never does something on accident. And so we know that he's here because he knows that they're there. And he's walking along this way and he knows that he has this appointment set up for him. For Jesus, every appointment is a divine appointment that's planned out in advance. For you and I, we're surprised by the divine appointment. You ever tell somebody, you're like, the craziest thing happened. Ran into this person. It surprised me. Didn't know it was coming. Jesus has never had to say that. He wasn't like, hey, later on in the ministry, he wasn't like, yeah, I was walking along the lake and I saw the guys and I was like, hey, they, they seem kind enough. These fishermen throwing their net. I, like, we can, and I, I should invite them along. It was so, what a coincidence. From the very beginning of time, he had this walk planned out. From the beginning of time, he had these men picked out as people that he was going to call to follow himself. And so he's walking along in just a very natural, casual way. And so don't get, don't miss the supernatural plans and purposes of God because they just seem so natural. Because it's shared to you through a neighbor, because you're invited to church, because you're prayed for and nothing explodes and lightning doesn't come from heaven or there's no writing on the wall. Trust me, you don't want any of those things. If it comes to those things, something is terribly wrong. (laughs) What we want is the prayer that's like, wow, I feel peaceful. We don't want the thunder and the lightning and the power of God to be manifest. I mean, even when we sing these like, Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. I sing that with a little bit of like, thank you, Jesus, that my sins are covered and that you see the righteousness of God on me. Knowing that, Holy Spirit, come and have your way with me. We're like, I want all of you, God. It's like, have you read the Bible? Have you, have you read this? This is the God we're inviting. People are like, I want the fire of God to fall on me. I'm like, hey, cool. Ask when I'm gone. I like the slow transformation, sanctification process of God in my life. Because if he did it all at once, he'd kill me. Right? It's not, I'm not trying to hold on to my sin. I'm not like, hey, I don't want it to die. Like, yeah, I want to get rid of my sin, but it's still in my hands. And, and I don't want to get caught with it. So the full fire, God, I want all of God. Yes, we do want all of God, but we need to remember who this God is. And so check this out. He says to them, come follow me. And in this statement, we see an invitation, a command, and a promise. It's an invitation in the sense that he's inviting them on, on this mission, on this journey that he's known he was going to be on forever. It's not a new mission. It's not a new journey. It's just taking on a different face. It's taking on a different phase. It's the same plan, the same mission that God was about. In Genesis, Jesus is walking in right now. This is no accident. And he's saying, hey, come on in. I want you to come with me. It's a command in the sense that when Jesus invites us, he's actually telling us. Right? It's kind of like when I ask my kids to do something. Hey, could you please, you know, get silverware for the table? I wasn't actually asking you to. I was telling you to in the form of a question. 
It's, it's like some Jeopardy stuff. You know, like I'm telling you in the form of an answer. I'm telling you in the form of a question. And so what I want you to do is actually to put the dishes on. He's saying, he's saying, I want you to come along, but really you're coming along. And you've got, you got, you got one option. Come along. Because we don't really want to talk about what the other option is. You know, I, I, you, have you ever spent much time wondering if Jesus, if God, it's, it's useless. Don't think about it now. But like, did God approach anybody else before he approached Mary to bear Jesus? I thought about stuff like that. Right? Like, who didn't answer the call before Jeremiah got called? <laughs> right? Like, I, I thought about it. It's not fruitful. It's just interesting. Um, it's not even biblical probably. Um, so don't do it. (laughs) I did it for you. It's not worth it. (laughs) What was I talking? So anyway, so, (laughs) so, oh, oh, so, so he, he invites them along and you see what happens when other people are invited along. The rich young ruler comes up and he's like, Hey, I've done all these things. I've kept the law. What else do I need to do to have salvation? And he's like, get rid of everything. What happened to the guy who said, no, he left sad. He left dejected. He left beat up knowing that, man, there's more to it that I'm not willing to give myself to. I'm not willing to let go of this. I'm not willing to give it over to Jesus. I'm not, I'm not willing to follow him. And they left sad. You don't see that here. These guys, they didn't leave sad. There were some times where they would be confused. There were some times where they'd be frustrated. There was deep sadness later when Jesus was crucified before he raised from the dead and everything was like, oh, what it just happened? But there was also a promise. The promise is this. He called them and he said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He's like, I'm going to make you into something that you can't be by yourself. I'm going to take your ordinary skill as a fisherman and I'm going to, to rise it up and give it supernatural strength. And you're not just going to fish for, for fish, but you're going to fish for men. I'm going to transform you. I'm going to change you. And I'm going to bring you into this life that is impossible without me. And it's going to be the high definition version of the life that you're currently living. And so he, so he says, follow me. One of the remarkable things to me, maybe the most remarkable thing about to me in this, in this entire passage is that the God of the universe, the one who created all things, that terrifying God who I talked about just a moment ago, like the whole Bible God, made himself knowable in the form of man, in the form of flesh. I was talking to, uh, to some, some atheist friends recently, and we were having a conversation. Actually, it was on an atheist radio show. It was kind of cool. They invited me to come on, and I got to interview them on their atheist positions. And it was, it was a neat moment. I, I could, I'll, I'll share the link somewhere. Um, but... It's not on our website. It's on their website. So don't get too excited, like studying everything on their website. But, <laughs> but uh, so, so we were having this conversation and they were like, well, you know, depends on which God you're, you, what version of God you're talking about because God's kind of ambiguous. He's, it's hard to know him. And I was like, you know what? You're right. You're right. That's, that's so true. I said, the idea of God, the father is kind of difficult. We can't see him. Like we can have a sense that we want to be fathered and we can be dissatisfied with our natural or earthly fathers and know that there's probably a greater sense of father somewhere out there, a greater definition of what it means to be a father out there. So we can have that longing in our heart. Uh, I didn't say all of that. I'm saying it better now. Um, 
But, um, and, and, then, and then the Holy Spirit's really ambiguous. We basically, what do we have for reference there? We've got Casper, the friendly ghost, and then maybe the sixth sense, right? And we're like, ghosts are scary and just super friendly and useless. And so, like, what do we do? What do we do with that? God is ambiguous and hard to be known. And, and so my response was, it's, it's kind of like God knew that. It's kind of like he knew that we were going to feel that way about him. So he decided to come down and make himself knowable in human skin. In the flesh, so that we could know him the way that we know one another, but we'd see what God looks like in man. Yes. Pretty remarkable, right? That God made himself knowable. Not only did not God make himself knowable, but he made himself followable. Yes. That's even more remarkable to me. That this God who created everything, this God of the whole Bible, made himself followable. Yes. And he said, Follow me. It is amazing that he's followable. Just me? Y'all, it is stunning to me. Look, I, look I'm, not, I'm not like... You ever gone on a run with someone when you're not a runner or you hadn't run yet? And the person's like, follow me. <laughs> and they're like running backwards and sideways. Like, you know, and, and like, and then they still lose you. Like running sideways, the backwards. They're like this. They're like, bye. Just come on. Come on. And, and they're like disappearing from sight. You're giving it everything you can. And you're dying. You're gasping. You're throwing up on the side. I'm sharing my own personal stories now. And, but, but they're like, you didn't make yourself followable. You didn't make yourself followable. But we go right back to the very beginning. As Jesus was walking by the lake, he made himself followable. And he moved at a pace that he could be followed at. Now, he did extraordinary things along the way that dropped their jaw and blew their mind. But he made himself followable. He used all the natural things around them for what he did. Right? Like, he made himself followable. And then he used ingredients that were accessible to them. Right? There's this scene, there's this scene in, in scripture towards the end of his life where he's, he's dying on the cross. He's like, I could call a legion of angels down and destroy all of you, but I'm not going to because I'm going to do this. I'm going to be followable. So instead, I'm going to show you how to die with dignity. So instead, I'm going to show you how to suffer and glorify the father in doing so. He used dirt to heal a man's eye. He used prayer. He used things that we can use. The things that are accessible to us. It's an amazing thing that God made himself followable. And then, and then that they followed him. It says that they left their nets and they followed him. They were like, okay, cool, I'm in. Without even knowing where they were going. He said, come follow me and I'll make you fisher of a different kind. I'll make you fishers of men. And, and so he's basically saying, I'm going to tell you who you're going to become, but I'm not telling you where you're going. Because if I told you where you were going, you'd probably say no. It's going to be a journey unlike the journey you expected. It's going to have difficulty you never imagined. But there's going to be power available to you that you could never even dream of. That you couldn't create on your own. That you can't fantasize enough to create. So come with me. I'm not telling you where we're going, but I'm telling you who you're going to become in the process. And they said yes. And I want to let you know that sometimes we have to do that. Even when we're already following Jesus. You're not off the hook if, you're, if you gave your life to Jesus. Right? Anybody who's been walking with Jesus for a long time knows that it's a daily decision. I'm going to follow him today. Where are you leading me today? Where are you leading me in this season? The longer you've been walking with God, the more danger you're in of not actually following him anymore, but just kind of heading in the direction you last saw him in. 
I saw him in this direction going that way at that time. So I'm just going to head off in that direction, just doing what I've always done. Instead of asking God, where are you and how can I follow you? Now, tradition is important. Tradition is significant. We had this because it was protected through the generations. We have the word of God. We understand his heart. We understand his mind. We understand who he is because of tradition. I'm not an anti-traditionalist. But we need to make sure that we're, we're sensitive to and intentionally following Jesus. Now, if you want to know where to find Jesus and how to follow him, I, I, can, I can help with that. He's in here. He's, he's in here. We invite, you know, we invite him to come live and dwell in us. But this confirms if this needs to match this. It's kind of like the launch codes, right? <laughs> it's, like, it's like no one man can press a button and just launch nuclear things, right? It's kind of like if the Spirit of God is saying something, the Spirit of God will also say the same thing. If the Spirit of God is saying something, it'll be affirmed here. Does that make sense? You tracking? So you need that double verification, that you're setting up on your, <laughs> you're setting up on your, your email, right? You ever try and log in and it's like, we're going to send you a text with your password. Don't do that. My phone's dead. You dummy. It's not the time. They didn't even know who he was. Here's this man. They probably knew he was a rabbi. They probably knew he was a teacher because I mean, they left everything to follow him. So he might've had a reputation at this point, but they didn't know who he was. Even if they knew that he was Jesus, this rabbi who was teaching some pretty radical stuff, they had no clue the depth and the, the truth of who he, who he really is in his fullness. They wouldn't know that for quite some time. They'd stumble over one another and tripping over themselves and, and, and couldn't figure out how to do it, how to follow him and who he was. And Peter gets this revelation at one point. He's like, you're the Christ, you're the son of the living God. And, and Jesus is like, good job, buddy, you, you got it. And then Peter's like, and now one more thing, Jesus, you got to know that I'm not going to let anybody do anything to you because I'm your man. And Jesus is like, no, you missed the boat, Peter. You were like, you had it and then you lost it. It was like coming and going. And so they had this, here's a question for you. Have you decided to follow Jesus wherever he leads you? It's more than coming to church on Sunday. It's more than putting some money in an offering basket. Have you decided to follow Jesus where he would lead you? Have you decided to be okay with the ambiguity that he didn't tell you what it's going to cost you tomorrow or the next day? I love Carl's testimony because he was aware of some stuff in his life that he had to give up. And he wrestled with that. He's like, ah, I can't yet. And then he finally, he saw, him for, he saw Jesus for who he is. And he's like, I got the truth. I don't need anything else. But the truth for Carl and for all of us is that there's more coming that he's going to have to walk away from. And there's more coming that he's going to get to walk into as a result as well. You, you try and go in, you know, past airport security with a bottle of water in your, in, in, in your bag and they don't let you go. So you can't carry that bottle of water with you, but as soon as you put that bottle of water down, you can fly to the Bahamas. Or you could hang on to the bottle of water. That's cool. And you could stay on this side of security. Or you could put your bottle of water down and go where you really want to be. You tracking? Like we get all out of bed of shape. I don't get my crackers. Put the crackers down. They have crackers on the other side. You can go to the store. There's water there too. Put it down. Get the better fancy Fiji water for $18. <laughs> Put 
you're going to the Bahamas if you just put the bottle down. But you don't put it down. You're stuck on this side with all the inconvenient stuff with no shoes and no belt. Just looking foolish. Like, I want to go. I want to go. But I, I, you're holding your pants up. And, you know, you're just kind of like your shirt doesn't really fit because you forgot about this part of things. And, and you're like, I want to go. But I want my bottle of water. <laughs> just, just put it down. And walk through the security. That's found in the resurrection of Jesus. You got the blood. <laughs> you, you were like, where's he going? How's this going to? You're like, he saved it. <laughs> so you walk through the, the, the metal detector of the cross and you get to the other side. You get to the other side. And now you, now you can go where you really want to go and you can experience the transformation that you really wanted to trans- experience. But you got to follow him through it. You've got to follow him through it without even knowing fully who he is and without knowing fully what he's going to do. I, that's the most exciting part of this journey is learning that he's more. It's like you're even more than that. The lights even agree. So have you decided to follow Jesus? So check this out. Simon and Andrew immediately left their nets and followed him. Rightfully, in the United States, we've talked about having a personal relationship with God, but we've gone too far and made it about a private relationship with God. We've made it about me and Jesus. It's me and Jesus, but what about his bride? It's me and Jesus this, me and Jesus that. It's like, well, that's great, but how well do you, how well do you understand everything by yourself? They, we cannot see ourselves. I think somebody said it. Was it here that, that one of the guest pastors talked about? We can't even see ourselves. I see everything in the room. The only thing I can't see is me. But you guys can see me. Pastor Eddie sees me, and he tells me about me sometimes. Keith Temple and JC can see me, and they tell me about me sometimes. Sometimes it's a warning. Sometimes it's an encouragement. Because they can see me the way I can't see myself. And if you're trying to do it, just me and Jesus, you're missing out on, on, on what he wants to do in your life, or at least the fullness of what he wants to do in your life and can do in your life until you cooperate with him. Make sense? The other thing we can't do for ourselves is pick, pick ourselves up. I Googled it, uh, that, that the phrase, pull yourself up by the bootstraps, is actually talking about like picking yourself up by the bootstrap. It's like the impossible thing. Can't do it, right? The strongest man in the world cannot lift himself up. If he sprained his ankle, he would have to be picked up by other people. If he had injuries, other people would have to pick himself up because he can't pick himself up. I mean, most of us, we can't even really scratch our back. There's this place right here that, like, I can't get to. Not, not in a satisfactory way, anyway. And, and it just looks silly to rub up against the tree. You're like, you're, you're like, you're like in the office, and you're like, hey, uh, guys, I'll be right back. It's just me and Jesus. So I'm going to go out in the parking lot and scratch on a tree because it's me and Jesus. But some of us are looking for trees in our spiritual life when really there are people right around us that he's called us to walk with that we've been ignoring because we think it's me and Jesus, not me and Jesus and blank. You tracking? 
And so it says, it's, it's just, it's pretty simple. It says, Simon and Andrew immediately left. They, they, were, they were called together for each other. Jesus didn't need more followers for himself. Certainly he had the future church in mind. Certainly he had the, he had acts in mind. Certainly he knew he was going to leave and the Holy Spirit was going to fall on them. And, and he could have, I guess, given it to one person, the revelation to one person. Instead, he called the group of people together for, for each other. Because they were going to have to have help understanding themselves and understanding who he was. There's a benefit from being in community and seeing other people's revelation about who Jesus is. I love being around new believers because they help me learn about Jesus. They see things I missed on my way in. You ever, you know, like, like, like little kids do, right? A little kid will stop and look and be like, whoa, flower. And you're like, there are flowers here? Like, when, who planted flowers? And you'd walked in so many times, you just, you just didn't even realize that the, somebody had planted flowers along the way and you, or you forgot about them or you forgot about how beautiful they are. And a new believer comes in and they're like, hey, hey these flowers are amazing. They're more beautiful than I ever realized. And then you're looking, you're like, my goodness, there are flowers and they are gorgeous. So they see things that we don't, we don't see. We organize this effort as a church through small groups and hangouts and other things, but you're not limited to fellowship with one another through the church's organized efforts. Did you know that? Like that we don't organize how your phones work in the contact book and your, and your thing. So you can hit somebody up and get together with them for coffee outside of a small group. Yeah. Yeah. Outside of a hangout, outside of a Sunday morning, you can do that. And you should do that. I want to highlight quickly just the difference between friendship and fellowship. Friendship is, well, you know, it says don't be friends with the world or anything, right? But C.S. Lewis says friendship is born at the, at the moment when two people say, me too. Right? Like you're just around a group of people and then somebody else is like, I like nachos. And you're like, me too. We've got some common, we've got a bridge and we're going to come together and we're going to know each other a little better than we used to. And, and I like you more than these other people because they don't care for nachos as much. You're my friend. <laughs> when we talk about fellowship, when we talk about fellowshipping with believers, what we're talking about is a Christ-centeredness in our friendship. There's a, there's a level of connection, a level of encouragement, a level of inspiration that is only possible with other believers. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he was a martyr uh, in, in World War II. Uh, he, he, said that, he said that when two believers uh, are together, they benefit not only from one another, but from the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in each of them. And so you ever been, you ever been somewhere and you're like, I think that person's a believer. And you do that little believer dance where you're like trying to figure it out. And you're like, where? I feel like I know you. And they're like, I feel like I know you. You seem like, you're like my brother. You're like, you're like my sister and you're listening for some, like the first one to drop a church enough word that you'd know. And you're like, I knew it. I knew you were a believer. I saw it on you. I seen it in your eyes. You love Jesus. And they're like, and you love Jesus. And you're like, yeah, that's right. And you wasted a whole bunch of time. I just, just lead off and be like, do you love Jesus? Yeah. <laughs> and if they say no, you got a conversation started. Or, <laughs> or the end of a friendship. But it was just a short friendship anyway. So, you know, not a lot lost. (laughs) 
But fellowship is deeper and more significant because we experience the Holy Spirit who indwells the other person. Uh, I want to just ask this question. How do you finish this? As Jesus has called you, who goes in the blank? J.C. and followed Jesus. They left their notes and Mike Woods and followed Jesus. Can you fill in the blank? And if you can't fill in the blank, I'd encourage you find a way to get this blank filled. Talk to people in the hallway and find out who else likes nachos. (laughs) Just find somebody else who likes that weird kind of coffee you like to drink. Fancy stuff. Right? And build a friendship and begin to enjoy the fellowship that comes from walking with people who love the Lord, who can pick you up and tell you about yourself. Going back to verse 19, it says that Jesus uh, tells them, you will bring in people, not fish. I will, I will make you fishers of men. And, um, you know, they, they heard him say this, but sometimes, sometimes when Jesus invites us, we forget about the second. We, we, they responded to come follow me. And they were like, sounds good. I'm, I'm following you. I'll make you fishers of men. And they started to forget about the being fishers of men part. And you see that because, because as they were following Jesus, they, they, was, it was, they started making it about themselves. They have these, these disagreements about who's going to be the greatest and who's going to sit at the right hand. They start talking about the rulership structure they start talking about the position and the, uh, the titles that they were going to hold in this new government that Jesus was working to establish. I, and instead of realizing that he was calling them to do exactly the same kinds of things that he was already doing. You tracking? So they got invited in and they're following and they started thinking about their own role and their own place. They stopped thinking about the people. They, they stopped. They, they were like, oh, and he's doing that kind of on the wayside. That's, that's far too natural. That's far too common. That can't be what his greatest, what his ultimate purpose is. His old, ultimate purpose has got to be to overthrow Rome. And so this is just kind of the side stuff that we have to tolerate so that we can take the, our rightful place in ruling. But really what was happening is that was the business. That was the thing. That was the greater thing. That was the establishing the kingdom of heaven on earth. That was what he was there to do. That was what he wanted them to learn how to do. They figured it out, but not until Jesus died and rose from the dead. And he came back and explained it to him. And he's like, hey, all of that stuff that I was doing, that's the stuff that we're called to in this kingdom. In this kingdom I'm establishing, that's the stuff. It's not the ruling and the positions and the titles. It's the outpourings of compassion and mercy and love. It's doing justice. It's caring for the widows and the orphans. It's being socially responsible. It's being faithful to the gods. It's being faithful to the Father. It's about following me. What's cool about this follow me is it didn't say follow me until I make you fishers of men. The follow me is a forever command. That, he would, they, that they would continue to follow as they continued to serve, as they continued, as they entered into the family business of fishing for men, the following of Jesus still continues. There wasn't a handoff. Jesus wasn't like, hey, I'm retiring. The business is yours. Do with it what you want. 
He said, I want you to follow me. You're going to follow me forever. I'm going to make you fishers of men, but I'm the head of this thing forever. So as you're fishing for men, I'm going to tell you how to fish for men. I'm going to prioritize the men that you fish for. I'm going to prioritize how you fish. I'm going to prioritize what you fish with. So you're going to have to follow me forever, even as you are fishers of men. There's not a place of maturity that we come to in our Christian life where we're like, I'm good. I'm done following Jesus. I got it. <laughs> Look what I can do, right? I want to ask this question. As the brokenness of man compelled Jesus to come down and bring the kingdom of heaven, establish the kingdom of heaven on earth, as we see him do it in scripture and as we saw the early church respond and do it in kind, I just want to ask, has your heart broken for someone else yet? Have you allowed the Holy Spirit to break your heart for others? I just being honest, most of most of our most of my prayer time in my life had been centered around me. What I want for me, my family, my friends. We need God to break our hearts for other people. We need it. If we're ever going to enter into the business, the family business that he's inviting us into, our heart needs to be broken for other people. And what it looks like when your heart is broken is going to look different for each of us. I love the, the unified and diverse response to the prompting of the Holy Spirit in people's lives. That as the Holy Spirit presses on my heart, he led me to, to, to be a pastor as someone else is pressed on by the Holy Spirit, as his heart is broken for people, they started an organization to feed malnourished people in, South, in, in Africa, right? Somebody else who, who God pricked their heart decided, okay, we're going to make soup and we're going to give it to, we're going to keep it in the United States and we're going to give it to the one in five kids who's insecure across the United States. Somebody else is going to be prompted to fight human traffic, trafficking in all of its ways. Somebody else is going to be prompted to go on a, uh, to give their life to missions and to go forever. Somebody else is going to be like, you know what? God's called, God has gifted me to make money. He's skilled me to, to maximize in profits. And, and I'm going to fund the kingdom with the money that he's given me and the resources that he's given me. I've got the gift of generosity and I'm going to send people and I'm going to send, I'm going to start organizations and I'm going to, I'm going to fund the kingdom work. Some people are going to be called to pray. Some people are going to labor in prayer for, for missionaries and for lost people and sick people and dying people. But all of us are called to make disciples. And it's going to be impossible to make a disciple until our hearts are broken for other people.